Hello, everybody. Terrence Lehu here with another episode of the Intellectual Agrarian Podcast, where we talk philosophy from the farm. Have you ever found yourself wondering what you'll leave behind? As the saying goes, you can't take it with you, but it might be worth archiving, or something like that. Our guest today is Jonathan Nelson, a collections development archivist with the Wisconsin Historical Society. He also has the privilege of working with the collection Recording the History of Organic and Sustainable Agriculture. Today, we'll discuss how Jonathan became an archivist, what the job entails, how archives work, how Wisconsin started a collection on organic history, and so much more. We recorded this episode at 2018 Moses Conference, so there will be more background noise than usual, but it's a great conversation. Without further ado, enjoy this episode with Jonathan Nelson. Jonathan Nelson, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, I should point out to our listeners that we're actually at the 2018 Acres, not Acres, that was the last conference I was at, the 2018 <laughs> Moses, Moses Conference, conference. Yep. and I think it's their 29th annual one, that and is... I think we actually met for the first time at a Moses Conference. That's right, about three years ago, three something years like ago. that, I think. I think Time yeah. goes by too quickly. Yes, it does. So yes, it does. Let's get started here. Can you, would you mind starting with a brief biographical sketch for the audience? Okay, well, just real quick, um, I, uh, I am an archivist of the Wisconsin Historical Society, but I haven't always done this. This is actually like my third or fourth career of my life. I uh, originally uh, w- went to college, uh, you know, and then went to law school at the University oh, of Minnesota wow. and uh, did pass the bar and worked as a lawyer for a little while, but didn't like it very much. <laughs> uh, so I, through a series of circumstances, ended up uh, managing a uh, bookstore, a mall bookstore in La Crosse, Wisconsin, which I did for 15 years, and then decided, well, that probably wasn't a long-term, uh, <laughs> long-term <laughs> goal. Uh, so I, uh, my wife and I, we we sold our house, moved to Madison. I went to library school at the University of Wisconsin Madison. Uh, on the the what they call the archives track, you can kind of like be a mm-hmm. librarian or you can be an archivist uh, and uh, was able to um, do some some things at the society, both uh, Historical Society and the Wisconsin Veterans Museum uh, as a student during that time and get some practical hands-on experience. And then when I graduated, uh, I got a job. Uh, surprise, surprise. Uh, <laughs> Ideally. It, it works. It works it, out well. It, it works that. out well that way. Uh, at the uh, National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum down in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Oh, you just made me so happy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so I was down there as an archivist, most of, mostly uh, doing uh, processing of collections and uh, also some collection development and some cataloging. And then this current job that I have opened up at the Wisconsin Historical Society, and I, w- I applied for it, and then we moved back to Wisconsin, which was, which was great. It was great being back in Madison because we really, really like being there. Uh, so that, and I've been doing this for about 12 and a half years now. Oh. So uh, that's, uh, and having a lot of fun doing it. 
So I'd love to ask you more about the cowboy stuff <laughs> because I love John Wayne films. That's like yeah. one of my niche things. But really, I think that we should explain what does an archivist do? Okay. So, uh, I mean, just in general, an archivist is a, an information professional that deals with unpublished materials, personal papers of individuals or families or the records of organizations, uh, as opposed to a librarian that works with uh, published things, things mm -hmm. that you know are, are widely available. So uh, when you're in the archives, you are dealing with one-of-a-kind things, typically, things that, that on, on, only the thing that's in front of you exists, and there are no other versions of it elsewhere. And the idea is that you uh, identify the things that are worthwhile, uh, to collect for, uh, you know, for the historical record, whatever historical record it is you're trying to, uh, trying to uh, document, and then catalog it and, uh, and arrange it in such a way that it's usable, and then make it accessible to researchers who want to use it. And, you know, that, I mean, we're not collectors in the sense of, yeah, we want to collect things and then just kind of hold them. Mm -hmm. You're uh, not a hoarder. We're not hoarders. We're not hoarders. The whole purpose is making it useful. accessible mm -hmm. and useful. I mean, if you, if you don't do that, mm -hmm. there's no point yeah. to doing it, to doing the collecting in the first place. So. so if someone's like researching for a book or an article or research paper, frequently they're going to the archival information that well, they can't our, find really right, elsewhere. Right. I mean, you know, just think of it this way: when when you're when you're reading a book, you know, a nonfiction book or uh, an article, a scholarly article, or not even not a scholarly article, anything on a, a nonfiction topic, um, think of the archives as being kind of the place where the the raw information mm -hmm. that goes into that comes from. Okay. Um, so that I mean that that. That's kind of our role is to help people who are writing history or doing other things too, but mm -hmm. who are who are interested in, in in researching topics, have the information, and then you know what they do with it after that is you know kind of their their thing. <laughs> so we're not, we you know, but oftentimes it's being used in a in a book or a magazine article or public presentation or you know something like that. So, what's the role of the historical society? Well, okay, so that's uh, that's a whole that's a whole other story. Uh, the Wisconsin Historical Society is a Wisconsin state agency. Uh, it wasn't always such, but uh, we are we are now since I think like the 1940s or something like that. But we are also a 501c3 membership organization. Okay, we get half of our funding, you know, from the state government, and about half of it uh, is raised. Uh, by a foundation that's affiliated with the Historical Society whose purpose it is to, to do that. Um, we actually, as we like to tell people, we, uh, we're actually older than the state of Wisconsin. Uh, we were founded in 1846, uh, two years before statehood, uh, and have, have existed continually since that point, although, to be, uh, to be fair, initially it was sort of you know, just a bunch of guys you know, kind of to getting together and talking about historical stuff. It was it was not the the institution that we see now. Uh, the, the historical society is headquartered in Madison. 
uh, on the UW-Madison campus. Uh, we have our own building, uh, now 118 years old. Wow. Uh, and as you may uh, surmise, we have, in 118 years, we've collected quite a bit. <laughs> Uh, so the, the really exciting news is that we have, there, the state has built us a new uh, store, uh, uh, preservation facility and storage facility in Madison uh, for both the library and the archives and our museum and also the Veterans Museum. I don't, don't want to forget them because they're also in this project. Uh, we are actually going to start moving things into that building in about two weeks. So the, the building is completed. They're just doing the finishing touches. And so this will give us grow space mm -hmm. for the future. Because as, like I say, you know, you've been collecting things for that long. Things get a little tight. Yeah. <laughs> I, the, I used to work in a library part-time. And so obviously it's different than archival work. But just I know with the titles that we just collect year to year, we were always tight on space, always running out of room, and we had the luxury of being able to discard the stuff that wasn't getting checked out. You don't have that luxury in archives because you're ideally sorting through and keeping the most important information. Right. I mean, right. Everything we ultimately decide to put in the collection, we are committing to keeping it forever. Yeah, well, or how... In perpetuity. Uh, and even our library, unlike, uh, say, a public library where they get, you know, 10 copies of the latest, uh, you know, Dan Brown bestseller, and then, you know, <laughs> two years later they're down to one copy because no one wants to read it anymore. Yeah. Even our library, because we're, only, we're, we're an academic uh, research library, we're not, we're not throwing away ours, too. So even our yeah. library collection is, <laughs> is, is, uh, gets, gets tight. So anyway... So how did you get involved in the organic project oh, here? Okay, well, it, it, there's actually uh, actually two kind of uh, origins to it. Uh, about five years, well, no, it's more like seven years ago now, we did kind of an analysis of our collection. Uh, you know, what, what things are we good at and what things are we not so good at and, what, you know, where the gaps lie. And one of the things that uh, came up was uh, organic and sustainable agriculture. I mean, we have uh, lots of stuff on, you know, dairy and, you know, kind of the traditional... The traditional Wisconsin. The traditional Wisconsin stuff. Uh, but, you know, we knew that, you know, Wisconsin was a, was a major uh, hub of, of organic agriculture. Yeah. Uh, but we had, you know, virtually nothing on it. So... Uh, I made some attempts to, uh, to collect, uh, but uh, it was mostly unsuccessful, to be quite, to be quite blunt about it. Uh, I did make a, a connection with uh, Faye Jones, the former director of, uh, of Moses, uh, which has you know, resulted in some, some material, uh, and also with uh, Fair Share CSA. Uh, but the others that I contacted, uh, which I can't even remember who they were right now, but it, it never panned out. Mm -hmm. So uh, about a year later, um, I got a call from Michelle Miller at the Center for Integrated Agricultural Studies at the University of Wisconsin, uh, which is the part of the UW that deals with organic and sustainable. And she said she'd gotten a call from a guy named Roger Blobaum, who... Uh, who had a huge collection of papers, and 
he was looking for a place for them, and she was wondering if we were interested. And so I said, yeah, well, you know, because I we had, you know, we had done uh, tried to tr tried to do this, and and, and without much success. So I said, sure, I'll, I'll talk to him. Uh, so I did, and he's, by the way, he is not, he's originally from Iowa, but actually lives in Washington, D.C., because uh, his, his kind of career has been uh, kind of on the policy side of things, mm -hmm. and he was involved in many, many, like 35 different organizations that uh, dealt in the area of organic and sustainable, and had, col had kept, collected and kept things from his work from all those groups, so he, you know, he had a lot of stuff. So I contacted him, and um, we we talked on the phone first, and then he came out to Madison uh, and uh, sat down and talked, and uh, we ultimately came to the conclusion: well, yes, we'd be interested in Roger's papers, but you know, what else could we do? And what, was was there a was there a bigger project uh, potentially in the offing, and so you know we discussed it back and forth, and we came to the conclusion that yes, this is something that was worth doing, and something that with Roger kind of being the pathfinder and the the entree giver um, <laughs> would be able to you know to open some doors uh, and kind of. Uh, you know, tell people that yeah, th these people are okay, and you can mm -hmm. trust them with your stuff. And so that's kind of how the the larger project started. I mean, the other thing I should mention is that although the original idea when we had the uh, you know the, our analysis of our collection was just Wisconsin organic, well, you know, Roger's collection was national in scope. He's worked for organizations from coast to coast. Um, so then it kind of came, well, maybe we should do this on a nationwide basis, not just a Wisconsin basis. Mm -hmm. Because we did have a, a history of doing this and for other kinds of you know, social movements and, and things. Uh, we have collections having to do with uh, the uh, civil rights movement and, uh, you know, peace movements and things like that that we've collected kind of in the moment as things were happening and so we had a kind of tradition of of identifying areas that were not being collected that that should be and trying to go after those so we uh, you know in discussing with you know supervisors and uh -huh. you know whatnot uh, we decided that we would go forward with this and then the other piece of this uh, that Roger was also uh, very instrumental in getting going was that he put us in touch with the Series Trust, uh, which is a uh, which I got, it doesn't I don't think it exists anymore, but it was their their main gig and Roger worked for them was directing research dollars to people doing research in organic uh, agriculture. Well, he convinced them to also put some money towards this project. So we got we, we got some money to help pay for a, uh, a, a part-time person, a student LTE person, to do the work on the collections once mm -hmm. they actually get into the building. Yeah. Because my my main thing is, you know, getting 
getting the things, uh, and then there are others that work on them once mm -hmm. once they get here. So, um, so so those were kind of the pieces that fell into place. And the other thing is that Roger uh, provided me with a list of a hundred different people <laughs> uh, to contact uh, that he, you know, he thought that he knew about some of, some of whom he knew personally, uh, but uh, that these are these are people who who would be worthwhile to contact. And so I basically went through the list and. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, sometimes the answer is no, and you know, sometimes people don't have anything because the world is divided into two groups of people: the <laughs> throwers and the savers. <laughs> and uh, you know, so some people, you know, they they may have done things, uh, you know, in organic, but they didn't really keep anything, so there mm -hmm. was nothing to donate. Um, and so now, about six years later, five six years later. Uh, we have around 30 different collections, uh, ranging in size from Roger's papers, uh, which are only half half worked on. He, his collection is, is 50, 50 cubic feet. That's like oh. 50, 50 banker's boxes. If, oh. you, if, you, you know, if you know what a banker's box looks like from Office Depot or something. Oh, boy. Uh, uh, to as little as just like you know a little point two cubic foot box you know so they, they range they, they greatly vary in in size mm -hmm. and scope uh, but you know between what we have actually in the catalog and things kind of on the on the shelf waiting to be worked on uh, about 30 or a little more uh, that we've brought in and I've brought in, in the last five years or so so can you kind of walk me through the process? Once you collect them, where, how does it work? Okay. Well, the, the honest answer is that for a while they probably are going to sit around because, <laughs> because uh, as, I, as I tell donors, you know, it's a lot easier to bring things in mm -hmm. than it is to do the work necessary to make them usable. So true. <laughs> so uh, basically the, the process is that... Uh, that in archives, the, the, the goal is to maintain the original order of what the person who created it did, mm -hmm. you know, to, to kind of reflect that. Uh, the only two exceptions are if you get just a box of stuff thrown in a, you know, a bunch of stuff thrown in a box where there is no order or where the order is so eccentric that no one can figure out what it is they were doing. But otherwise, we try to just kind of keep it as it, as in, in, the, in the way that it is. Uh, and of course, these come in in, in varying degrees of... Uh, <laughs> orderliness. Orderliness. <laughs> Especially um, from a farm. I mean, Roger, for example, he very carefully sorted through everything and put everything in little groups mm -hmm. and folders and things, you know. So there's actually very little that needs to be done with his and others. Uh, well, not so much. So, so what happens then is that you know they, they are arranged. They're put into some kind of a of a of a logical order that may you know that makes sense. You know, like if there's different kinds of categories or groups of things, you know, putting those together so that all the things on this organization are together and all the things on that organization are together. 
um, and then put them into new acid-free folders uh, in, in special archival boxes and, uh, you know, to, to protect the physical material. And then we write up uh, what's called a finding aid, which is, has a little bit of biographical background on the person written in there, uh, a kind of a narrative description of the kinds of things that are in the collection, and then finally, in a folder level inventory of all the stuff that's in, the, that's, that's in there. So there's someone from a distance pulls that up and says, okay, I see that it, you know, I'm interested in this organization. I see that there's stuff about this in, you know, these three collections because you can see inside the collection, so to speak, not the, not the paper itself. <laughs> let me, uh, let me, uh, hasten to say, because that's one thing that people say, oh, well, I assume you're going to digitize all this and it's all going to be available on the internet. Well, no, that's, I'm sorry to say there isn't, uh, I mean, e just think of it this way, though. each of those, those, those banker boxes has about 5,000 pieces of paper in it, mm -hmm. and our total collection is somewhere in the neighborhood of 115,000 cubic feet. So you do the math, 5,000 times 110,000, uh, there isn't enough time, no. money, or resources in the world to do that. So, do any of you want that job? <laughs> and, well, and of course, you know, don't need to get into this really, but it, it's a lot more complicated than just throwing a piece of paper on a yeah. scanner, because if you don't have the, 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 what they call the metadata, the information mm -hmm. that allows you to find it, yeah, otherwise it's useless. It's, it's useless. It's just, it's, just, it's just a photograph of a piece of paper. So uh, then it gets put into the catalog, and uh, we uh, share our catalog, or our catalog is part of the UW-Madison Libraries catalog, uh, as is our, our Historical Society library. Uh, the reason for this is because our library is the North American History Library for the university. So we are... We are not the university, but we are a university affiliate. Mm -hmm. And so we are able to kind of piggyback our collection on their catalog, which is where the material is, can be accessed, or, you know, information about the material can be accessed. Now, while I love all things ex historical, some people might ask, what's the point of keeping these records? What would you typically say to someone who's that much of a barbarian? And a, <laughs> well, a Philistine. Okay. I mean, I guess I would say that um, anything, well, not anything. I won't say anything. <laughs> but Grocery lists. Don't need <laughs> no, right. But him, th things that are, so, are socially important mm -hmm. are, should be remembered. Yes. Should be, and should be remembered accurately. And the way you do that is by, by collect, collecting and providing access to the original stuff that was created that went into whatever that was. In this case, it's organic agriculture, but it could be, you know, any number of things. Uh, I mean... You know, there's an old saying that those who do not learn from history are destined doomed to, to repeat it. doomed to repeat it. Um, yeah, that may be true, uh, <laughs> but I I like to think that knowing where we have been 
so we can see where we might be going is, is something worthwhile mm -hmm. doing. It is. And I love history, so, you know, <laughs> there is that, too. So. I think I was listening to an interview Walter Isaacson did recently, and he recently published a book on Leonardo da Vinci. Yeah. He had made a comment when someone asked him, like, was it hard to find all this information on a guy that's been gone for so long by comparison to, like, Steve Jobs, who was more recently. Yeah, yeah, right. He's like, I found more information in paper on Leonardo da Vinci than I was ever able to find on Steve Jobs. I can believe that. I mean, just, and it, same thing went for Benjamin Franklin, who is even a president, not president, uh, he's on the $100 bill, though. Uh, for a person who was more recent, there just wasn't as much written. They didn't keep as much. Not They didn't hold on to it like Leonardo da Vinci's papers. Well, I mean, that, that brings up a whole other topic, which <laughs> is uh, the issue of records in you know electronic or digital form, mm -hmm. uh, where it's easy to create them, but it's oh so easy to delete them and lose them, you know, either vertently or inadvertently. <laughs> uh, and yes, so <laughs> I'm a big believer in paper. Mm -hmm. I mean, we do, I mean, at the Historical Society, we do, uh, we do deal in the, uh, the electronic realm as well. But, uh, you know, for, for this collection, uh, virtually everything we've gotten has been paper or, you know, photograph or, you know, things, about, things like that. So... I've asked myself from time to time what historians and authors are, and biographers are going to do in the future simply because, I mean, this generation, so few people actually have things written I, down. I, I honestly think there's going to be a big black hole. I mean, are we going to create another <laughs> another medieval age in which we don't have the monks to necessarily keep things recorded? <laughs> well, <laughs> to the extent there are monks, they're probably actually archivists. I mean, there some some stuff will be saved, but mm -hmm. you know, I think about, I mean, you know, in my work at the historical site, I mean, I, I will I should say that the organic and sustainable collection is not the only thing I do. I, yeah. I'm a I'm a generalist. I do I collect you know, all kinds of stuff. But, you know, I get, you know, two, three times a year, I get contacted by somebody that's found a collection of Civil War letters from some ancestor, you know, in a closet or a drawer someplace. And, uh, you know, they say, well, do you want these? Well, yeah, sure. If they're from Wisconsin, we do. Uh, but what, where's, where's the drawer? Mm -hmm. Where's the closet in the current day? I, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, paper... If, as long as you don't, you know, wet it or burn it, uh, pretty much just kind of stays there and minds its own business and is waits quietly while waiting for someone to, to discover it. Uh, can't really say the same thing about digital stuff. But that's, no, the that's, batteries do go dead eventually. The batteries do go dead. The file formats go obsolete. The, uh, the, uh, the type of storage medium gets obsolete, you know, it's just, it's, it, it, it's a moving target. I'm fairly convinced that if we ever find the cure to cancer, it's going to be on a floppy drive. <laughs> well, <laughs> I hope so. I hope, I hope not, because uh, if you've got one of those five and a, five and a quarter inch floppy drives, good luck finding a, a drive to play on. Anyway, <laughs> okay. So what do people typically look for when they go to the archives? Well, I mean, the one thing I should say about the organic collection, just to kind of, uh, you know, kind of set the 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 the, um, 
the kind of the niche that we're looking at. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm looking here at the at the poster presentations uh, for the science, you know, agronomists and soil scientists and people who are doing you know scientific research in the area of organic. Uh, th though that is not the kind of thing that we are collecting. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there are journals and other for other forma forums for that kind of information to get out into the public. We're really looking for more the kind of the social history, the political history, the mm -hmm. the personal history of the organic movement. Uh, Rather than you know, kind of the science of it, as it were, uh, you know. So, like I say, as as a social movement, as a mm -hmm. group of people who say, "Hey, this is an important thing to do," you know, we we create these organizations, we create these structures that help push this forward. And what are they? What what you know? What what you know? What are the important pieces that go into that? And ho hopefully, trying to get the, the data, the documentation that shows that. So that when people look back, they'll, they'll and wonder where, how they got to where they are, that story will be there. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. And one of your collections is that Professor Hiram King, who wrote okay. Farmers of 40 Centuries. F.H. King. That yes. is so cool. Uh, how do these documents come into possession of the Historical Society, well, and kind of what do they contain? Well, this is this is an interesting question because, uh, you know, I've known for years that we had the picture, the 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 the, the cl a collection from from F. H. King, uh, but until I got your questions, <laughs> I honestly had never looked up to see how we had gotten them. Uh, so so, but now I know. Now you know. Now I know. So. Uh, as folks probably don't know, but F.H. King was a soil scientist, and he worked for the USDA, uh, and then later came to the University of Wisconsin-Madison, where he was in the soils science department. And there's this whole like subsidiary story about this conflict between him and this guy at USDA about <laughs> something, but I'm not, I, I'm not sure exactly all the details of that. In any event, he, he died relatively, relatively early. He died in uh, 1911, uh, even before his most famous book, Farms, Farmers of 40 Centuries, was, was published. It was, in, it was in, you know, the manuscript was ready, it was in the works, but I think, I'm pretty sure that he did die before the, the book was published. Um, we didn't get the papers, however, uh, we got them in two, two, two little chunks. Uh, first in 1945 from uh, Dr. King's uh, widow. And then about a year later in 1946, we got the rest of it. And the, the other thing I should tell you is it's not a huge collection, but it is a really good collection. Mm -hmm. um, there's basically two parts of it. The first part has a lot to do with this USDA guy. <laughs> of course it does. <laughs> and this controversy between him and, and King, um, but also a little bit about, um, about preparing the book Farmers of 40 Centuries and a couple of his other books and you know, dealing with publishers and you know, editing and all that sort of thing. And that was actually the part we got first. 
which is probably the least, <laughs> the least interesting part of it. The second part is, is the part that people really focus on, which is the letter, primarily consisting of the letters that he wrote back to his wife when he went on this big trip in 1909, I believe it was, uh, through China and Japan doing the primary research that, w that became Farmers of 40 Centuries. And so we have his original letters, uh, handwritten, uh, back to his wife and other, uh, mostly his wife, I think other, some other family members as well, where he's talking about what he is seeing and what he thinks about it and what he is up to. And so it's kind of like the, the first draft almost of the book because he's talking about, you know, his discoveries. And of course, the discovery, I mean, the, thing, the question he was trying to answer, for those who don't know, is how could these, these Chinese peasants who farm a small plot of land for generation after generation after generation, 40 centuries, as the, as the book says, as the title says, how could they maintain the potency of the soil to keep growing crops on that same little piece of land mm -hmm. for centuries? And but what he came up with was this kind of biodynamic, uh, you know, using night soil and other things to continually refresh the soil. And that, that by putting things back into it, it, it maintains its potency and is able to be used indefinitely into the future. That was the big discovery. And, you know, it, it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that, that kind of idea of, of continually replenishing the land you know, obviously is a big part of the modern organic movement. I mean, typically now it's, you know, it's, it's cow manure or, or green manure through cover crops that are plowed in. But, you know, that same concept of always replenishing the land. Adding to the soil as you take from it. Adding to the soil, uh, you know, is kind of the foundational piece of organic agriculture. And, you know, that was kind of the, the thing that he, he discovered from these, these ancient, uh, ancient agricultural practices. If people, one more question here. Is Wisconsin the only state that has an organic collection? I'm curious. I mean, like, no, no. Um, and do you work I, with I, those agencies no. sometimes? Okay. <laughs> um, no collaboration. <laughs> not, not so far. Um, there are two that I know of. There, there's, there's one out of. I think they're both actually based in universities, mm -hmm. not state historical societies. Uh, I mean, our, our state historical society is, is a little unusual in that we do stuff like this <laughs> as opposed to just collecting, you know, stuff from state government, which is what most state historical societies do. Um, you guys do fun stuff. We do fun stuff. That's right. Uh, but there, there is a university in California and I believe one in Massachusetts that are focusing on California mm -hmm. and uh, Massachusetts or, or, and the New England area for organic collecting. Um, but, uh, like I said, we're, we are trying to, uh, we're trying to do it nationally. I mean, I, I will admit that the, the bulk of what we have tends to be in the upper Midwest area, but we mm -hmm. have collections from Washington state and, and, uh, and, uh, Oregon 
and we're, we're getting some things from uh, Michael Sly, who uh, works for Rafi down in North Carolina, so things covering the southeastern part of the United States. Uh, you know, in, in, in Indiana and, and uh, other places. Uh, so we are, we are trying to be national, uh, and we are, uh, but I can't say we honestly cover the entire country at this point. <laughs> You're getting there. More we're, getting, we're getting there. If people wanted to view the information in the collection, how do they do so? Well, okay, so you, as I mentioned, we, we, uh, the collection is on the um, University of Wisconsin-Madison Library website, which is www.library.wisc.edu. That's where the catalog is. And then when, once you get there, on that little search box, in, in quotation marks, <laughs> put organic and sustainable agriculture collection and hit the, hit the search button and that should pull up all the, the list of all the collections that we, that are currently in, in the collection. And, you know, it, we are adding to it, you know, mm -hmm. so it, it will increase with time. It continues to expand. It, it continues to expand. But whatever is currently in there and currently in the catalog, that's, you should be able to find all that stuff there. Oh, and by the way, I should say this, that we, have, we do consider the F.H. King collection as part of this, even though obviously I didn't collect it since <laughs> we got it in 1946. Big but, win for you. But, but, you know, since it is an important part of the story, you know, since, since mm -hmm. people do a search to try to yeah. find all the things we have on the topic, yeah. I thought it was important that we that, that come up as well. It really is because it is considered almost a foundation. It is literally a foundational part of organics and that soil in that book. It absolutely is. Now, Jonathan, thanks so much for being on the show. Where can people go to learn more about the Wisconsin Historical Society and your work? Well, um, we have a website, of course, uh, for for the Historical Society, which is www.wisconsinhistory.org. Uh, there is a there is one page on there about the organic project, uh, which is not much in the, in the whole scheme of things. Uh, actually, the you know the the catalog website is probably a better place to go to get a better feel for what we have. Uh, if there are any uh, folks out there who uh, are work in the organic and sustainable ag movement and have saved things and would are interested to know whether what they have might be worth saving as part of this project. They are people are always welcome to email me, and that is Jonathan R. That's J O N A T H A N R. Dot Nelson at Wisconsin History. That's all spelled out and run together. Dot org. Uh, and I'm always happy to hear hear from people who are offering things. I mean. I will tell you that not everything that is offered is necessarily <laughs> accepted. Uh, we do, you know, since we're saving forever, uh, we have to be, um, you know, judicious about what it is we take. Uh, but uh, we're always happy to hear from people who have things to offer and, you know, work with them and see, see where things go. Well, Jonathan, thanks so much. We'll link all that information in the show notes. Thanks for taking time out of the conference to have this talk. It's been fun. Thanks. Big thanks to Jonathan for being on the show. You can learn more about the Wisconsin Historical Society and their organic collection by going to wisconsinhistory.org or by clicking in the link in the show notes. 
If you're new to the show, please subscribe on whatever listening medium you use. And while you're there, be sure to leave us a review. Thanks again for listening. This has been Terrence Lahue and the Intellectual Agrarian Podcast reminding you to keep farming the dream.